if you have your Bible with you, let's turn really, we're just going to start in Ephesians chapter 3 just for a moment, and then we'll be flipping back to the Old Testament here in a little bit. But if you have your Bible with you in Ephesians chapter 3, bless you, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm so glad to, I'm so glad you're here this morning. I, I'm uh, I tell you this has been we've been going through Hosea in in Sunday school a little bit together, and just such a beautiful such a beautiful book. And forgive me all those who've been joining us for Sunday school for Sunday school because this is this is going to be some of the same stuff we've carried but or talked about. But uh, man, it's just so beautiful, such a beautiful picture about God's love. And and I wanted you to hear this. I wanted you to to understand it better. You know. Um, it's kind of hard for us to grasp this because we kind of come on this side of the cross, but um, in in Christendom and even with the Israelites, with the Jews before there was Christ, um, these words for love didn't have the full meaning of what God's love was because it didn't really it doesn't really exist here on earth. It, it's so big and God's love for us is so extravagant that it took it took literally generations for people to kind of come comprehend what that, you know, that, that Old Testament word for God's love, that chesed kind of love, what that meant. And, and even since Christ came in the New Testament, took on, it, that took on a, even a much larger meaning whenever we read about agape love in the New Testament in Greek. Um, and it's taken Christendom just decades really or maybe centuries to really comprehend what this God's love looks like because there's nothing else like it on earth. Amen? So big, so expansive, it, it can't really, it can only be described, it can't be fully comprehended. But anyway, Paul's praying for the Ephesians in chapter 3 of, uh, of Ephesians. And look with me in the middle of verse 18. He's praying, basically, we're going to talk about this in, in a later sermon, but he's basically asking God for three things for the Ephesians. And we're just kind of got, going to get in the middle of this for uh, the, his second request. But in the middle of verse um, um, well, it's actually verse 17. I said verse 18. It's the middle of verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. Now, here's what he asked for the power for, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want to point out just a couple of things about what Paul says about this. He says that this knowledge in verse 19, he says, and to know this love, that is the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, what he says here is that all of human knowledge, all of the understanding of Christ's love, human knowledge is, is inadequate to describe, it's inadequate to understand fully how deep and wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for us. Um, it's just that, it's just that big, it's just that uh, just that large that it's abs- it's actually incomprehensible that that it surpasses knowledge. Um, and but what is more is that we can't even fully understand it on our own. He says there in in uh, the, in verse eighteen he says that he prays for us to that they may have the praise, praise sorry praise for the Ephesians that they may have power together with all the saints to grasp it to apprehend it. And what he's talking about in the verses before he'd been talking about he'd pray that they would have an inner power the power of the Holy Spirit at work within them. And he says, this, this, the size of the love of Christ is so large that you need divine help. You need the power of the Holy Spirit at working within you for you to be able to apprehend or comprehend how big the magnitude of God's love is. It takes God's power to understand the size of God's love. 
Um, but anyway, so that, that's kind of where I want to, to leap off to, to today and, and just to remind you about God's love. And, um, and the thing I want to talk to you about today in particular is that is this, 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 this love that God has for us is like a bond. It's, it's unfailing. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a Bible translator. You see these guys, they'll come across a word to translate. And NIV, I love one of the ways that it translates the love of God. One of the ways that it translates God's love for people or God's love for, for his people is unfailing love. Um, I, I love that term, unfailing love. It is actually, the word unfailing is not in the, the New Testament or the Old Testament. But that kind of love is what's, what they're trying to describe. It's an unfailing love. And so maybe some ways to think about the, the aspect of God. And by the way, I'm going to try to touch an aspect of God's love this week and a different aspect in the, in the coming weeks. But it's so big, we could just spend the rest of our lives here. You know, we really could. Matter of fact, um, I can't remember who it was now. Oh, it's going to escape me. Jonathan Edwards, actually. Jonathan Edwards said that maybe this is what eternity's for, is to us, for us to be able to explore the love and all the attributes of, of God. You know, one day we'll hike and, and discover a little bit more about His holiness and we'll never get to the end, but it'll be a good expedition for a week or two, you know. And then the next day, maybe we'll go explore the, the love of God and, and we'll go down to the depths and see just how deep it runs um, and uh, to, to understand God's, God's attributes, His perfections is going to take us apparently a really long time. Okay, but anyway, God's love is unfailing. So there's some, some words that I want to throw out at you about God's love. It's unfailing. In other words, it, it never comes up short. You know, those of you who have parents or those of you who have children, we all have parents, don't we? Those of you who have children, uh, uh, at some point your love runs out. You know, there's just sometimes that, man, I am not feeling this love for you today. I, you've just worn me out of patience. I'm just done with you today. Um, God's love never runs out. It never fails. He has a loyal love. That's one of the ways that you might translate the uh, that chesed love in the Old Testament. It's loyal. It's loving devotion. It says, I've decided to love you, and it doesn't matter what happens, I'm going to love you. I don't, it doesn't matter what you do. I've chosen to love you, and I'm going to love you, and tomorrow I'm going to love you, and the day after that I'm going to love you, and you're going to blow it every day, but I'm going to love you because that's who I am. That's who God is. It is a faithful love. It's, it's faithful no matter whether or not we remain faithful. It's, it's a stubborn love is one of the ways I like to describe it. I don't see a lot of commentators describing it that way, so I'm probably in the wrong here. But it, it's just a stubborn love. He just will not let us go. He just won't. It's inexhaustible. It, it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how many times you blow it. It's inexhaustible. He continues in this persistent love for us. It's enduring. It endures through the time. It endures through the years. Um, you know, it, it endures. God's love for you endured for you while you were young and a child and you didn't understand him at all and you weren't interested in him at all. He under, God's love endured for you when you were a teenager and you're going through strange times of questioning all sorts of things. It, it endured for you when you were in your 20s and you were too busy uh, and endured for you when you had children and endured for you when you reached middle age. His love for you endured as your children grew up and left your house and endured for you in those golden years. And it will endure for you and I, even in death. It's a love that never runs out. Time cannot touch it. Time cannot tarnish it. It will endure. And he loves us in spite of our sin. He loves us. He favors us even when we fail. And I can't think of a more beautiful picture here than what God gave us in the book of Hosea. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Hosea. Hosea is after the major prophets in the, in the Old Testament. 
So turn, you know, after you hit the Psalms, turn right, hit the major prophets there, and keep turning. Let's see, he's right after Daniel, just before Amos. Hosea, let me tell you real quickly what's going on in the history of the Israelites right here. The Israelites um, never could do enough to follow God. They never could follow through. God did all these things for them, but they never could follow him well, right? And all of us can pass judgment on, him, on them because we've never had that sort of trouble, right? No, uh, we're in the same boat, aren't we? We're just the same kind of fallen people as the Israelites were. We never can fully follow through to follow God very well. Um, and so what would happen is that generation after generation, uh, they would do well for a little while, but then they would fall and then they would start worshiping idols. They moved into Canaan and God said, wipe out all of the, of the people that live here because I don't want you worshiping and following after their lead. Well, they didn't really want to do that because there were some kind of cool things that these people did. And so they kind of hung on. And so they began to worship false gods. And in particular, they worshiped one called Baal. And Baal worship was really prominent. This is about the time frame here we're talking about is about 745 to 730, 720 BC. What's going to happen here in a few years is that God's going to bring judgment on them. Let me tell you what's coming is that the Assyrians are going to come in and are going to absolutely wipe out the Israelites. They're going to lay siege to Samaria in the northern kingdom. They're going to lay siege to Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. And Samaria will carry off. It'll be really the first kind of exile that happens um, that uh, that they're carried off in captivity. And they're just going to be absolutely wiped out. And the reason why is very plain. There are several prophets who are saying or who are telling them it's coming. One of them is Hosea. Another one is Amos in this time frame. Uh, But what they're saying is that because of your idolatrous heart, because of the adultery, the spiritual adultery that you want to follow other gods, this is coming. You're, you're going to be, there's going to be this punishment. There's going to be this judgment that I'm going to exact on you. But in the, right in the middle of it, right before this judgment comes, God is going to speak through the prophet Hosea to say, my punishment for your sin is coming, but my blessing is coming too. My favor is not going to wear out. My love for you is not going to quit. And right before all this happens, the Lord raises up a prophet named Hosea. And look what he does in, for, in Hosea's life. You talk about a guy with a special calling. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. If you have your Bible, Hosea 1, 2. We're just gonna, I'm going to show you a verse in chapter 1. I'm going to show you a verse in chapter 3. And then we're going to move on to chapter 11. But just really quickly so you can kind of get a, a feeling for Hosea's calling. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to your, I'm sorry, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of, vile, of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. In verse 3, so he married Gomer, um, which is double slam there, a um, woman named Gomer. But anyway, um, good name for a private maybe in the army, but maybe not a woman that you want to marry, Gomer. Uh, but anyway, um, so God calls him out and he says, you're going to marry a woman and not just any woman, he's going to marry an adulterous woman, a, a woman who, um, who would never fully be faithful to, to Hosea. Now, what a strange thing. Can you imagine someone coming to you and say, hey, I, I think the Lord spoke to me. He told me I'm supposed to marry this adulterous woman who's going to have children with other men. Uh, you might say, I, yeah, I think you've lost it, right? I, I don't think you're hearing the Lord well. But apparently, this is the Lord's calling. And, and what the Lord's doing, obviously, he's making a parallel. He says, I want you, Hosea, in, to, to be a reflection of all, to all of Israel, to show them what I'm like and to show them what you're like. You're going to marry a woman. You're going to be faithful to her. And you're going to love her. And she's not going to love you back. 
She's going to love other men. She's going to go to other people. And she's going to have children that are born out of adultery. And so, um, so that's what Hosea is called to. How about that? Talk about tough. Hosea's got the toughest calling maybe in all the scriptures. Anyway, in, uh, so what happens is, is he marries Gomer and, and he follows through with the, what the Lord says. And then at some time she goes off, and, and we don't really know exactly when that happened, but sometimes she goes off and she has children by other men. And at some point in chapter 3 then, all of a sudden, she's gone. And in chapter 3, if you would turn with me to chapter 3, verse 1. So apparently what's happened is she's gone off. And Hosea chapter 3, the Lord says this. The Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Hosea talks a lot about the sacred raisin cakes. Apparently, those were the bomb, right? I don't know what it was, but they loved the sacred raisin cakes, which were an offering or that they, uh, uh, an act of worship there that they had for some of the false gods were these sacred raisin cakes. But anyway, uh, but anyway, to go back to what's serious here is that, the, that despite her unfaithfulness, God calls to Hosea, even though he had every right to put her away in divorce, right? God says, Show your love to her again. And by comparison, of course, what he's saying is that just like I told, I'm telling you, don't you give up on loving her. And you continue to show your love and you continue to be faithful her, to her despite her unfaithfulness. So I am with the people of Israel, right? That's, that's the take home here. That's, that's what he's trying to say here, isn't it? Is that I'm going to be show that same kind of faithful love despite Israel's unfaithfulness. I'm going to continue to love them despite the fact that they, uh, they departed, they loved other, other gods. So um, flip over with me to Hosea chapter 11. And we're going to read, this is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. This is just so beautiful. And it's such a, it's, it's a window into the heart of God for his people. If you want to, want to understand some of the, the aspect of God, man, this is it. This, is, this opens a heart. This is God just being very vulnerable, which is very odd, isn't it? But God being very vulnerable um, to, about his people. And so in Hosea chapter 11, we're just going to start reading. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 first, and then we'll continue on. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, so um, this, is, this is God talking. He's saying, he's saying he, he loved Israel like a child. He said, I called him out of Egypt like, a, like he was my son. This is kind of reminiscent of the exile when God showed so much care and so much concern from the Israelites that, that he brought them out of slavery and of Egypt. <coughs> Pardon me. In verse 2, but the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. Did you see? The Lord saying, I was faithful to them, but the more I called them, the more I loved them, the more I showed them my care and my concern for me, the further they went from me, right? They sacrificed to Baals, and they burned incense to images. Verse 3, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Wait, what a beautiful picture is it? This is it, it's a picture of what he's saying here is that I was like a, a, a father to, to Ephraim, which is um, a, a term used of the, the northern, the most prominent northern tribe of Israel uh, that takes up the northern kingdom after the kingdom split after, after uh, Solomon's reign. Uh, but he talks about Ephraim as though it was representative of the northern tribe, okay, of the northern kingdom. So he says, I was like a father who taught Ephraim how to walk. What a beautiful picture, isn't it, of God showing, I showed that much care. I, I raised him up. I, 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 I raised him up from a toddler, taking them by the arms. First, middle of verse 3, but they did not realize it was I 
who healed them. So no matter what the Lord did, no matter how much kindness He showed them, they never recognized that it was God that had done it. One of the scary things about, um, about Hosea is you, you read it very much and you, you start to see that this, is, this sounds a lot like the United States today. You know, um, The way that our country was brought into existence and the way that we live now, we act like we did all this on our own. Uh, but anyway, we'll continue though. Look with me in verse 4. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. Stop with me for just a moment. He's, he's saying, basically, he's saying that, that he led them out. He led them along with cords of human kindness. That, that term, cords of human kindness, is literally in the Hebrew. It's with the cords of Adam. In other words, with the, the cords of a, of a human love, of a, of a human kindness, he led them along. And it's talking about how God, is, God has provided guidance and leadership for the Israelites all every day, all the days of their life, all the days of their existence, God has led them along kindly and, and lovingly and with ties of love about how much he cares for them and leads them along has been providing leadership for them. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. This is, this is like uh, showing kindness to an animal where he says, you know, it's like he's removed the, the yoke from an ox so that when it ate, it wouldn't be uncomfortable with the yoke around him. I removed that so it could eat comfortably. And I took care of him like you would take care of your most, your most prized livestock. I know that's kind of far from us today, isn't it? But, but back in that day, that meant that you were taking really good care and showed real concern and love for your livestock. Um, and he says, this is how I've treated you. I've treated you like a son, like a, like a father treats a toddler and teaches him how to walk. I, I carried you in my arms. I, I treated you like, like prized, uh, my prized animal, my prized livestock. Verse, th- verse 5, will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? This is a rhetorical question. Yes, they're refusing to repent, and so Assyria is going to rule over them. Listen to verse 6. Boy, this is just beautiful language, unfortunate, what that's describing. Swords will flash in their cities. um, Swords will flash in their cities. Will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. Verse 7, my people are determined to turn from me. How about that? How about that? How about that statement about the Israelites? Is it, it doesn't matter how kind the Lord is to them. They are determined. They are set to walk away from him. This is, let me pause there for just a second because it's really easy to read these and get lost and just think, huh, silly Israelites, when will they ever learn? This is human nature, right? This is what's described here is what's natural in you and I. It's, it's the fallen nature of us that no matter what happens, I want to be separated from God. It, it's that fallen sinful human nature that says, I don't want his rule over my life. I don't want his reign over me. I would, you know, it, it's, listen, you look at the History Channel now, right? And, and what, a, what, a, what a bizarre turn we've kind of made. But the History Channel now, time after time, night after night, uh, um, it, it's, it's all about how, well, how did we get such wisdom? How did the, how did the Egyptians build the pyramids? Um, how do we know how to do things? How did we get here? And again, the answer and again and again nowadays is, it must have been aliens. Uh, I mean, right? It's bizarre. I, I, I don't know how to even say it, but again and again, it's ancient aliens apparently did this for us and gave us wisdom and populated the planet with us and all this stuff. Like, really? I mean, I mean, there's not any other explanation? I, I could think of one. I, I don't know. Maybe... Maybe this is all from God, but I don't know. It's bizarre. But, but you know, it, it's that same kind of thing that's at work on the History Channel and all these people who are producing all these um, documentaries, fake documentaries, um, that, are, uh, that is just basically saying whatever God has done, we want to we separate. We want to give another example, another reason about why 
this might exist. It makes me crazy. Anyway, okay. There's good history to talk about. You know what I'm saying? Asian aliens makes me crazy. Okay, my people are determined to turn from me. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, He will by no means exalt them. And then we have a turn. What's just so perfect about this chapter is that he's talking about the coming Assyrian attack, and there's going to be, there's going to be flashes of swords in their cities, and the, and the city walls, those gates are going to be coming down, and they're going to be left defenseless there. But we're right in the middle of it. And all this is becoming because of their sinfulness, because, um, of their, uh, because they refuse, absolutely refuse, bless you, to follow the Lord. But look in the right smack dab in the middle of this chapter. Listen to what he says. How can I give up on you? How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat, treat you like Admah? How can I make you like Zebuim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. Okay, so here's what the Lord's saying. Judgment is coming for the Israelites, but in the middle of it, even though the people deserve it, even though they all deserve to be completely wiped out, the Lord says, but I can't let you go. I love you too much. I love you too much to let you go. I can't let you be fully destroyed. There's going to be punishment for your sin, but I can't fully let you go. I can't turn my back on you completely. I want to hang on to those, those cords of human kindness and those, those ties of love. They'll never be severed because of God's great and unfailing love. Amen. Do you get that? Do you hear what I'm saying? Even in the midst of punishment, even in the midst of, of God's carrying out His judgment against the Israelites, His love has not changed. He says, but I can't let you go. I won't let you be completely destroyed. And what he's talking about here, he doesn't say the words really in, in, uh, in Hosea, but he's saying, but I'm going to hang on to a remnant. I'm going to hang on. There will be a people that I preserve for myself. There will be a people that I've chosen. There will be a people that I've selected. There will be some people uh, that are going to be mine, and I'm going to continue to show them my love. Amazing. How can I give you up Ephraim, which is used for the northern kingdom? How can I hand you over Israel? How can I treat you like Admah? Those terms, those other cities were cities um, that were destroyed Pardon me. Were cities that were um, destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. These were some cities that also fell with Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says, "I can't let you be totally destroyed like they were. I, I can't let you go." He He refuses to let His people go. My heart is changed within me. That 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 term changed. My heart is changed. It means literally, my heart is turned over. My, my heart is turned over, and so so that I I can't just have fierce you know, anger at them, there's also always this love that he has for his people um, that, that, is not, uh, that is not undone despite the, the, uh, the judgment that they deserve. And all my compassion is aroused. Verse 9, I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. Listen to what he says in the middle of verse 9. For I am God, not man. What does that have to do with anything? Well, you know, what does that mean, for I am God and not man? I think what he's saying is this, is that God's love is never polluted by his anger. It's not like God shows only anger and then only love um, for his people. Um, he shows he is fully just and he is fully loving all at the same time, right? We see this perfectly in the cross, right? 
where God in love sends Jesus Christ to die on the cross where the justice of God and the punishment of God for all of our sins is laid upon him, perfectly loving and perfectly just. The same thing that is happening here in Hosea where he says, um, uh, where he says um, I will not carry out my fierce anger. I will not turn and devastate Ephraim. But what he's saying is that they're going to go through this time of the Assyrian captivity. It's going to happen. They're going to be defeated in horrible military loss, and not just militarily, but their homes will be destroyed. Their cities will be destroyed. They'll be carried off. Um, but God says, but I, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? And God's faithfulness and his love will remain for them. Um, for I am God. And so um, in this way, God's love is transcendent from our love that he doesn't let bitterness govern his decisions, right? He's, he's never just absolutely emotionally, ir- irrationally um, wrathful against us like sometimes we are, right? He's always very rational in his love for, toward us, and it never runs out. Okay, and in the last part of verse 9, um, I will not come in wrath. Okay, how about that? How about, how about that? How about that love of God? Even though the Israelites deserve punishment, even though it's coming for them, God says, but I can't let you go. My heart is aroused. My, my heart is changed within my, my compassion. All my compassion is aroused for them. So even though he knows this is coming for them, he loves them. I, I don't know a good way to help us understand this, but it's important. <laughs> I can't, I, can't, I can't describe the importance of this. One of the things that Paul writes there back in Ephesians now is that he prays for inner power by the Holy Spirit. He prays that they might comprehend the Lord's love together. And in the end, he prays that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's not like he's praying for three separate things. I think these things are, are kind of like steps. One depends on the other. We have to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in, in our, in our inner, inner man and in our inner person. Um, it's kind of how it's, how it's written. Watchman Nee, right, calls it the inner man. Um, we got to receive the, the power of the Holy Spirit. The next step is that we have to comprehend the love of God. And then the final step is then we can be filled with all the fullness of God. So he prays for these three things. But one of the most important things that you and I can do as a Christians is to meditate and understand more fully the love of God. Okay. Now, I, I know the sermon I just preached to you is... Is, um, is, is very nice. And I know you would all say, I know this. I, I agreed to this. And, and yeah, you've taken some time to, 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 to maybe expound on these things and I, maybe I understand it a little better. But all of us would stand up and say that I know this to be true. I know God's love is, is unending. I know it's enduring. I know it persists. I know his love is faithful despite my unfaithfulness. I know his love is unfailing. But, tell me this, you also know that sometimes... You don't feel that love of God in your life. Sometimes, it's, it, sometimes instead of being, of being convinced of the solidness of God's love for you, you feel like you're on shifting sand when it comes to God's love. I was reading a, um, just a, a prayer from a woman named Kathy Escobar on the, on the Internet. I just, I just came upon it. But anyway, she just had a beautiful, beautiful prayer. L- listen to what she says. I often struggle with feeling loved. I know in my head I am loved by God as his creation. I know all the right answers. I know how to say the right things that make me sound like I have feeling loved nailed down. But I can say with confidence that I feel more loved and secure than I ever have felt before. But I can also say with confidence that sometimes a deep, wide, and high, and love, sorry, long love of God feels strangely elusive. I don't think this feeling is God's fault. 
I don't think he's withholding something from me because I'm not doing this or doing, not doing that. I don't think that he's mad at me for not holding on to this love 100% of the time, 100% of the way. I sense a lot of pleadings in Paul's writings, his longing for the people he's writing to understand more fully these important truths. I think God also pleads with me sometimes, hoping that I'll grasp the truth in ways that will keep transforming me into more freedom, more wholeness, and more grounded in God's love. So let me, let me pause here for, like this for just a moment. I wonder if God is pleading with you today. He's asking you, just like Paul was asking and pleading for God on behalf of the Ephesians, to pleading for you to comprehend better God's love for you, to understand it better, to, to be able to sit and, 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 and rest in it, to be able to receive it more fully. Uh, you know, I think, um, I think in some ways we do God an injustice if we don't, you know? If we don't take time to consider, let me, let me tell you, you're going to go through this week, you're going to go through times of anxiety. You're going to go through times where you're thinking about bills. You're going to be thinking about busyness. You're going to be thinking about Christmas presents. You're going to be thinking about how you're going to make the finances work. You're going to be thinking about the struggles that your parents are going through. You're going to be thinking about the struggles that your children are going through. Can I tell you what an awesome thing it is to be able to sit and ponder and rest in and to meditate on how great and enduring and faithful and unfailing the love of God is. Uh, can I tell you how important that is for us as believers, for, 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 to it, for, it, for, it to, for us to allow it to change us, to transform our thinking, to transform how we think about our lives and how we think about what's going on around us. Let me tell you, if you spend all your time putting out fires and going from one thing to the next to the next, and you're not grounded in this truth that you can dive into God's love and you can never find the end of it. No matter how far you go, no matter how far you, you, know, you travel, no matter how far you explore his love for you, you'll never run out of bounds. It will always go further for you. He will always be saying, but I will never let you go. I've decided to love you. Can I tell you what a difference that would make in my life and in your life if, if you made the time to meditate on how wide and deep and high and long is the love of Christ. I think it's one of the reasons that Paul prays for it because he knows that this is transforming. This is life-altering love. Amen? This is the kind of love that when you first understood it for the first time, when you first understood that Christ died for you, because he loved you, it changed your life from that moment forward. Now that you're a believer, don't stop. You're not going to wear this out. You're not going to over-explore this, right? But it's so important to continue uh, in this, in this, in this life-changing love. It's so important for us to continue it in it and to meditate on it. And I tell you what, you can pick it up in the Psalms. You can pick it up in the Gospels as we pick it up. You can pick it up in the, in the Old Testament prophets over and over and again. God is trying to explain and show us what is his calling, what, is, what, is, what he is like, what his love for us is like. And over and over again, he uses a hundred different pictures in the Old Testament, a hundred different pictures in the New Testament. And here, this picture of Hosea, this man who will not give up on his unfaithful wife, is a picture of God that says, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm going to love you. It doesn't matter how far you go, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you with a bond. I'm going to love you with a cord that I will never let you go. Amen.
let's take just a moment and pray. And how we're going to finish today, I'm going to give Trey. I'm going to give Trey over a few minutes here at the end to just kind of share what's been going on at YWAM and Tyler, and we'll do that. So Trey, come on up here and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to lift up and, and pray, um, Lord God, that you would help us to come to a greater understanding about what is your love and, and how big, how, how high and deep and long and wide it is, Lord God. I pray, Lord, for the people who are gathered here today, Lord God, that we would have time in the midst of, a, of the, the stress of our schedules, in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our, our stress and anxieties, Lord God, that we would have time to sit and to meditate and just listen and remember how great your love is. Your love for us is like a, a father who teaches his son how to walk. Your love for us is like a parent who, who cradles his children in his arm. Your love for us, Lord, is like, a, is like that, that, that loving leadership that you gave to the Israelites. Your love for us is like that, that faithful husband despite his unfaithful wife. Your love for us never lets us go. Your love for us, no matter what we do, it is unfailing. So, Father, we thank you for this love. We thank you for the freedom that we have in it. We thank you, Lord, because it changes our hearts. It changes our thoughts and our minds toward you. And, Lord, it gives us a foundation, Lord God, to build our lives on that's certain. So, Father, I pray this week that you would give us time. I pray this week that we'd take the time uh, to meditate on your love. Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to grasp it better. Give us that divine power of your Holy Spirit to grasp it more fully that we may walk in, in the freedom of your love, freedom of your favor and your friendship more. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Amen.